good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, wow, what a great morning of worship already. This morning we come to the conclusion of an amazing series. We've been in this great series all summer uh, talking about the Old Testament book of Daniel. We've been unpacking the Word of God and Daniel and, and watching how relevant this Old Testament book is to our lives. 2,600 years later and seeing the relevancy for us as we live our lives like Daniel did in a pagan culture. And yet we are called to live an uncompromised life for the glory of God. And I love seeing that truth come alive in us. You know, Daniel was 15 years old. 15 years old when he was taken from his home. He was growing up in Jerusalem. He had this plan kind of mapped out in his life, and he was of nobility. He kind of thought, you know, I'll be on the royal line and, and all these things. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes and besieges Jerusalem. And, and Daniel's taken away with his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're taken off to be put in the king's service there in Babylon, and, and he's taken away from his family. He's trying to figure life out, like what's going on? And yet he stayed faithful. And we've walked with Daniel from age 15 to now 85 years old. And we've seen this guy just stay strong in the Lord day in and day out. Challenge comes, he stands faithful. You know, anything comes, he stands faithful. And God uses him in an incredible way for God's glory. And my hope and my prayer for all of us, regardless of where you are in life, is that this would be a summer that you put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to live my life for God. Right? Regardless of what's happened in the past, I'm not going to let the past define me. I'm going to be a man or a woman after God's heart. I'm going to live for him. Daniel's name means the Lord is my judge. And Daniel lived his life for an audience of one. I'm going to just live my life for the glory of God. I'm going to let God be in control and I'm going to trust him. Now, as we've walked through Daniel, we saw the first six chapters of Daniel. It's kind of like reading his diary, all these personal stories of, of the way that Daniel stood up to the king when the king was serving all the royal food. And, and Daniel said, no, I'm going to follow God's law. I'm going to stay true to God. Of, of Daniel reading the writing on the wall, of Daniel interpreting dreams, of Daniel being thrown in the lion's den and God shutting the mouths of the lions. And then in these last six chapters, we're seeing the visions that God gave to Daniel, the prophetic verses that God unfolded for Daniel to, to encourage Daniel, but also to challenge us and to challenge his people back then. And so this morning, we're coming to the last few chapters. We're going to be Daniel 10 through 12, and I'm excited to unpack the Word of God together today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. You can go to the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you've got a mobile device. You can uh, access the Word of God there and follow along with what God's Word has to say. Oh, Daniel chapter 10, and we're going to see this unfold here. Pick up at verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. And Belshazzar was his Babylonian name. When he was taken off, he was given a new name, Belshazzar, um, but he still calls himself Daniel throughout the book. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. So this is Daniel's fourth vision that God has given him through an angel, and it's when Cyrus was the king of Persia. So the Babylonians have been defeated by the Persians. Cyrus is now in control. Cyrus has allowed the exiles to return. Daniel is still there, and God speaks to Daniel in this, in this fourth vision. Daniel's out. If you keep reading there in chapter 10, Daniel's out by a river, the Tigris River. He's out with a bunch of people. It's the first month. It's the 24th day. And he said, all of a sudden, an angel appeared. And everybody was trembling, and they fled. He said, I was scared to death. And I, I looked up, and I saw this angel, and I heard him speaking to me. And he had these words to say. And so look at verse 12. 
It says, then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. I'm really glad angels say that, okay? Because angels, like, aren't these puffy, white, you know, little halo, gold halo things. Angels are angels of light. They are warriors, literally warriors. They're the warriors of God, okay? And so I'm so glad they say, do not be afraid, because I'd be scared to death. Angel appeared to me. And, And sure enough, Daniel's like, I'm scared, but he says, do not be afraid. And then he says, Daniel... Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. I want you to look at that for a moment because this is powerful, I think. Here's what the angel says. He says, right, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And for you and I, maybe there comes a point in our lives where we just have to say, you know what, I'm going to set my mind to gain understanding of the Lord. I'm going to set my mind to grow deeper in the things of God. And and I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to recognize that God is sovereign over all. (laughs) And I can live in fear of the things that could happen to me, or I can live by faith in a God who is in control. And Daniel made that decision in his life. He made that commitment to live his life for the glory of God. He said, since you've made that commitment, your prayers have been heard. And then he goes on to to kind of unpack this vision for him. And he gives him very explicit details. The first part of the vision concerns the Grecian Wars. The Grecian Wars. Now, if you remember, if you go back, that God had given this revelation to to Nebuchadnezzar. There was a dream. Remember Belshazzar? You got these different dreams. He talked about these kingdoms that were coming. You had the Babylonian kingdom. Then you had the Persians who would overthrow it. Then you have the Greeks. Then you would have the Romans. (laughs) And sure enough, I mean, all of it in history happens just as God said here in the book of Daniel, right? The Persians come in, they overthrow the Babylonians, and then you come to the Greeks. So pick up in 11, chapter 11, look at verse 3. Verse 2 ends with the kingdom of Greece. And then it says in verse 3, Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. Now who's he talking about there? Alexander the Great. Right? If you go back and study history, Alexander the Great, he conquered the entire world and then he cried because there was no more kingdoms to conquer. And this great king that appeared for the Greeks overthrew the Persians. And now the Greeks are in control and in charge. And God's given Daniel this insight into what will happen 200, 230 years later. And then it says in verse number, pick up at 6. It says, after some years, they will become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance. But she will not retain her power, and he, his power, will not last. In those days, she will be handed over together with her royal escort and her father and the one who supported her. This is Antiochus and Bernice. Remember after Alexander, uh, after he died, everybody's vying for power, and these four kings rise up, and then two kings, the king of the north and the king of the south, and you have this, you know, power struggle that's happening. And so you see it plays out just as God said. And all of it falls in line. In fact, there was an ancient historian uh, named Potphyry, and he was, an, he was an atheist. And he said, Daniel had to be a forgery. There's no way the book of Daniel could have been written in 530 B.C. And all the events that played out could be true. Because it played out exactly like God was going to say And everybody kind of believed that for a while until 1946 when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they found the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran and they were able to date it back to 530 B.C. It's just like God had said. 
And God was making it so clear. He was saying, listen, my people are going to return. They're going to go back. They're going to rebuild the temple. He goes, but don't fall in love with the gods of the land again. You know, I took you off into Babylonian exile. I put you in time out because I wanted you to remember me. I wanted you to keep me first. And I don't want you to go back and fall in that same trap because this is what's going to happen. And God's encouraging the people to stay strong in him. But he said, this is what's going to come. Verse 28 of chapter 11, it says, The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. What's the holy covenant? That's the temple, right? He will take action against it and then return to his own country. Verse 31, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. And this is exactly what happened. In 167 BC, Antiochus comes and he desecrates the temple of God. After it's been rebuilt and the people are offering daily sacrifices, and Antiochus, this Greek king, comes in and he he builds a an altar to Zeus there, and then he takes a pig and he sacrifices it on on the altar, which was an abomination. But it says the people of God will rise up, and they did. And the Maccabean revolt, right, led by this priest and his sons, and they revolted against the Greeks, and they overthrew the Greeks, and they kicked them out because they stood faithful to God. And God said, this is exactly what's going to happen. Now, when the Romans came in and overthrew the Greeks and the Romans ruled over Palestine, they learned from the Greeks. And so they allowed the Jews to continue their worship. They allowed the Jews to offer the daily sacrifices. And all that was a preparation for the Messiah coming, for Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it was just like God unfolded this right here. Daniel, look at what's going to happen Daniel, be encouraged. I'm sovereign. I'm taking care of things. I'm in control. This phrase, the abomination that leads to desolation, Jesus used this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. And he was talking about 40 years later when the Romans in AD 70 would ultimately destroy the temple, ending that second temple period. But God is sovereign. And what we can learn from history as you go back and study history is God is sovereign. God is in control. And whatever man tries to do, God's got a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. And our faith and our trust will be in him. So we see the first part of the vision. We talked about the Grecian Wars, Antiochus, Alexander the Great, all these things that were going to come. But the second part of the vision concerns the end times. Pick up in verse 36. It says, the king will do as he pleases. Now, this is a different king than what they were talking about before. He will exalt and magnify himself above every God and will say unheard of things against the God, big G, of gods. He will be successful until, until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. And so now you see the switch Where it's moving from, hey, here's what's going to happen right here in the earthly world to here's what's going to happen in the end times. And the vision that God gave Daniel was, hey, Daniel, take your eyes just off your circumstances and lift your eyes up to see that God is working. And God is going to accomplish what God will in this world. I want to show you a diagram um, that just kind of helps you kind of look at this and frame this. But the Old Testament is always looking forward 
to the redemption. Always looking forward to the redemption of Christ and what Christ is going to do and the way God's going to redeem and restore. So if you think about kind of a mountain, and I'm going to make my little diagram, okay, right here. So you got to think about this mountain. When you're looking at a mountain, right, you, you see the mountain and you see that first peak and you think, hey, wait a minute, that, that's a big peak. And in the Old Testament, it's looking forward to that, to that redemption that's going to come through Christ. Everything is leading up to the redemption of Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing forward to the Messiah. But also in the Old Testament, it's pointing to the reign of Christ. So you see the Old Testament is pointing to the redemption of Christ, but also to the reign of Christ. Now, if you've ever been hiking or you've ever been to the mountains, a lot of times you see that first peak and you think, man, it's not that far to that second peak, right? I could do that. I could probably do it in a day. You know, I just walk over there and I kind of go there. And then you realize that's a pretty big gap, right? That's a pretty big gap. So the New Testament comes after the redemption of Christ. You have the New Testament. And the New Testament is pointing back to Jesus and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But the New Testament is also pointing forward to the reign of Christ. You know, there's 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the first coming of Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. And all 300 are fulfilled in Christ and in Christ alone. The probability is astronomical. But do you realize that there are 1,500 prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ? 1,500, five times as many prophecies that God's going to return, that God's going to put an end to all the suffering and the pain in this world, that God is going to reign on high. So the New Testament is looking forward to that. Now, we are living in that gap. We're living in that valley. That's called the church age, right? We're right there. We're living in the church age. We are the church, the body of Christ. But at some point, at some point, there's going to be the rapture where the church is going to be taken home and there's going to be the time of tribulation and then there's going to be the ultimate reign of Christ. And for eternity, you guys, for eternity, we get to spend eternity with God. Praise God. In God's word, it's true. Everything is true. Keep going in chapter 12. It says, at that time, right, Michael, the great prince. Now, Michael is the archangel for God, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not has happened from the beginning of nations until then. What's that? That's that tribulation. That's that seven years. They're going to be really tough, really bad. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Man, that ought to be encouragement to you today. Right? Everybody whose name is written in the book. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son, your name is written in the book of life. It is there. It is in permanent marker. It cannot be erased. You are forever to be delivered. Multitudes, verse 2, who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. So all the people who've gone before, right, who are asleep, some to everlasting life. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. Guys, just like we see in the New Testament, just like we see in the book of Revelation, just like Jesus talks about over and over again, that there's an end time coming. 
And for you and I to live our lives for the glory of God. And God gave this vision to Daniel and said, hey, Daniel, be faithful in your day. I'm at work. It may not look like that. It may look like the Persians. It may look like the Greeks. But but listen, I'm at work. And for us to understand God is at work. God is in control, trusting him. When God gives us visions, he doesn't always say, hey, spend all your time trying to figure out the when. He says, spend your time trusting in me and investing in what matters. Hold on to me. Go to the last verse, verse 13. Daniel, the angel says to him, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of your days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Man, what encouragement. Daniel, You've done a good job. Daniel, you've lived 85 years, man. You, you've done it right. You've done it well. And, and you're going you're gonna to die. But listen, you're going to rise again because of what I'm doing in this world. And you're going to receive your allotted inheritance. I, my hope and my prayer is for every one of us, right? You see, every one of us, we're going to die. We don't like to talk about it, you know. But the mortality rate, it's 100%. I mean, it, it just is. It's going to happen. But the fact of the matter is when you and I get to the end of our lives, that we can say like the Apostle Paul said, man, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. And that you and I, we can say, I can look back on my life and I don't have to live my life with regrets. I can look back and say, God, I lived it for you. I lived it for you, and that we will wake and see the face of Jesus and hear him say, well done. Good job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You did it right. You did it well. And that's my hope and my prayer for all of us. Daniel did it. You know? He lived an uncompromised life, even in the midst of a pagan culture. And you and I have that same call in our lives. Three things I pray that you learn from Daniel. Three things as we kind of move on from this summer study and we move into the new school year and all the things that are gonna happen. These three things I hope and pray that you will take with you. Number one is this, this call to live an uncompromised life. I pray that you will take this call to live an uncompromised life. Whatever's happened in the past, that you would put a stake in the ground to say, I'm going forward in God. I wanna be the man or the woman that God has called and created me to be. See, Daniel could have been upset. He's 15 years old, he's taken away. He could have been mad at God. He could have been angry. You know, he could have said, forget you, God, where have you been? But he stayed faithful. And wherever you are in life, maybe you find yourself in life today and maybe you've moved here recently. Maybe you're in a job and you're just kind of wondering, why am I in this job? Maybe, maybe you're single and you're kind of going, man, I wish I was married or I wish I was at this place in my life. But wherever you are in life, the call is this, to be faithful. And while there's breath in your lungs, God's not finished with you. Daniel knew that. And he held on to that truth that God was doing something bigger. And I love that Daniel, Daniel kept his identity in the Lord. You know, his name was changed to Belshazzar, but he never used that name, right? He always talked about I, Daniel, I, Daniel. I, Daniel, he kept his identity in the Lord. He didn't buy into the pagan culture of the Babylonians. He didn't buy into the pagan culture of the Persians. He kept his identity in the Lord. How do you do that? How do you and I do that? Because we're living in a pagan culture, right? 
We're, we're living in a culture that doesn't put God first anymore. We're living in a culture that, that goes the way of the world. How do we keep our identity in the things of God? How do we say our citizenship is in heaven and not in the things of this world? A couple of ways. Number one is this. You surround yourself with godly people. You know, I believe Daniel, you know, he had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man. He, he needed those guys. And you need others. You need people who are on the same journey. If you haven't joined the church yet, man, join the church. If you're not in a community group, get in a community group. Be around people who are on the same journey with you. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And you and I, we need that. I need that in my life. You need to surround yourself with godly people. Secondly is this, you need to keep your identity in the Lord and the Lord alone. It's so easy for us to buy into the gods, little g of this world, to gods of materialism, the gods of success, the gods of career, the gods of money, and, and for us to kind of go after those gods. But as God gave this vision to Daniel, hey, you stay strong. You stay committed to me. You see, you and I, we're not just to be consumers of church, right? We're to be contributors. We're living in this church age, and you and I are the church today. We are the body of Christ. And as we lock arms, then we go forward to make a difference for the glory of God. And as I look through God's word, you know, I see the things that God has said for us and, and to live these ways. And when God gives you the Ten Commandments and he doesn't just give those, hey, here's some rules to follow because I want you to follow rules. He gives those out of a relationship. He gives you, as you walk in the New Testament, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You know, love your neighbors yourself. He gives those out of relationship. He says, follow me, trust me. When God talks about tithing, you know, God talks about giving our first 10% back to God, and it's not because God's going, wow, I'm out of money this month. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, I don't have enough. No, God does those things for us. God does those things for me so that I go, hey, my first 10% is going to go back to God so I don't buy into this culture and invest only in this culture. I'm saying, God, you're my priority. You're my trust. And I'm not going to be afraid. God, I'm going to trust in you. And God's saying, I want you to know this. I've laid it out here because I want you to follow me. And Daniel did, and we can too. Live a life that's uncompromised. Live a life that's uncompromised. You look at Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And I love what it says here. The Apostle Paul's writing, it says in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, and he's writing the church in Philippi, right? And he says, not only my presence, but now much more my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God's saying, look, I'm working in you. I'm doing something great in you. And then he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, we could stop right there, couldn't we? <laughs> we could just kind of camp out there all day long. You know, but Daniel did. He didn't spend his time complaining or arguing. He trusted God. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. You know, just as God said to Daniel, Daniel, you are a star, man. You're, you're living it for me. God's calling us to be like that. As you hold out the word of life in a crooked and depraved generation. Here's the second thing. Second thing is this. Be faithful in prayer. Guys, be faithful in prayer. 
Prayer is our communication with God. Prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is how we know what God wants us to do. Prayer is the encouragement that we receive from the Lord. I mean, if you say you have a best friend, but you, but you never talk to your best friend, I mean, your relationship's not going to grow. And Daniel was a guy who prayed, man. He prayed when things were good. He prayed when he was facing the lions. He prayed when he needed understanding about a dream. He prayed. And for you and I, whenever we face challenges or we face opportunities, that our first reaction is not, hey, how can I solve this? How can I figure this out? But our first reaction is to pray. Romans 12, 12 says, be joyful in hope. And Daniel had this hope that the exiles would one day be able to go back to Jerusalem. And he was, he was joyful in that, man. He served the king of Babylon. He served the king of Persia. He was made one of the top administrators. I mean, the guy was successful, but he always had his hope in the things of the Lord. God's doing something bigger here, and I'm trusting in that. It says be patient in affliction. Patient in affliction. I mean, Daniel was made a eunuch, okay? I mean, that. That's not fun. That's not great. And that's nothing, there's nothing good about that. But, but you know what? He was patient in the midst of the suffering. God's got a bigger plan. God's got a bigger purpose. God has me here for a reason. And I'm going to hold on to him. And then it says be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. And you and I as God's people today, oh, that prayer would be what defines us. That I'm faithful in prayer. You know, as a country, man, there's so much going on, right? Uh, we've had the all kinds of things happening right now with the election and everything that's happening. And so many people in our country are putting their faith in, in a man or in a woman. And they're going to be the ones to save us. But you know what God's word says? Second Chronicles chapter 7. If my people, that's us, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You guys, that's our call. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Oh, man, we ought to be praying for our nation, praying for our leaders, praying for our state, praying for our community, that we're a people of prayer. Be faithful in prayer. And the third thing is this, be obedient to God's vision. Be obedient to God's vision. See, God gave Daniel a vision. What vision has God given you? What vision has God given you? Maybe, maybe God's given you a vision for your family. Maybe God's given you a vision to be a godly husband or father, to raise up children in the Lord, grandchildren in the Lord to impact generations. Maybe God's given you a vision as a wife, as a mom. Maybe God's given you a vision for where you work and sharing the love of Christ with the people around you. What vision has God given you? You know, this week school starts back uh, here in Williamson County and we have a lot of teachers, we have a lot of school administrators in our church and I just wanna tell you, I'm thankful for you guys. I really am. I was talking with a good friend of mine last week and he was telling me about a friend of his in Georgia. And he said, this guy, you know, he, he grew up in Atlanta. He never went to church. He said, I just never went. He was a great football player, ended up playing at the University of Georgia, ended up playing professional football. And he said, but when he was a, a senior in high school, 
He was sitting in biology class, and all year he kept wrestling with these questions. He was like, I'm studying science, and I'm looking at this, but I'm just thinking there's got to be more. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. And he said, toward the end of school, my teacher, my biology teacher said, hey, you're asking all these questions all the time. I brought something for you, and he gave me a Bible. Public high school. He said, then I'd go to my next class, and the English teacher says, all right, for your last assignment, I want you to read 200 pages of a book and write a, write a report on it. It's like, I just had this Bible, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay. So I started in Matthew, and about halfway through, I got down on my knees my senior year of high school and gave my life to Christ. Most important decision I've ever made. And I've been living my life for the Lord. And God's using this guy to make a tremendous impact. But you know why? It's because of the difference one teacher made. You and I, God's called us to make an impact. Whether it's in your classroom, or whether it's in a boardroom, or whether it's in your living room. God's called us to have a bigger vision for what God can do in the world and not just for what the world has to offer. And that's what Daniel did. And he lived it. And he lived it. As a church, God's given us a huge vision, right? A people of God reaching out, growing up. That's what God's called us to, to be faithful like Daniel was in his day as the people of God today. And our vision means this, to, to grow up fully mature disciples in Christ. Every one of us, that we're growing deeper and stronger in the Lord every day, that we're encouraging one another, that we're locking arms together, that we're being the men and women that God has called us to be. And we do that in community. And God has called us to reach this Middle Tennessee for Christ. And next Sunday, our South Nashville campus is moving into Nolansville. We're going to be in Nolansville. And Nolansville is one of the fastest growing communities in the entire state. In September, we're launching another campus down in, in uh, Nashville. We're going to do a Thursday night Bible study and start in downtown Nashville for college and young adults because we just realized we need to reach our community for Christ. We need to share the love of Christ. God's called us as a church together to raise up the next generation in Christ. In the preschool and the children and the students that are here, we have a tremendous call, you guys. We have hundreds of kids that are here. I mean, it's unbelievable how many children are here. And for us to pour into them, and where else are they going to learn about Jesus? Where else are they going to grow in their faith? Where else are they going to learn moral and ethics? I mean, it's not going to be, you know, what, from the Internet? I mean, it's our call. It's our responsibility. And two Sundays, we have a, a new student pastor who's going to start, Brandon Billups, who's coming from Houston, Texas, to join our team. I'm excited about what's happening in student ministry. God's also given us a call as a church through Justice and Mercy International, to complete the Great Commission in the Amazon. I know this sounds crazy, but the Amazon is massive. But God has called us, for whatever reason, this church right here in Middle Tennessee, to say, hey, reach the Amazon for Christ. We were, had a team in February, 88 pastors and their wives. We were training these 88 pastors in the Amazon, and they're going back in their villages and taking the gospel. We just had a team return. They saw 531 patients deep down the Amazon. Guys, God's calling us there. We have a partnership with Mission Aviation, a plane of seven to go into the furthest reaches. And God may call you, and God may call me, and he has. God's also called us as a church to transform a country. And what's happening in South Africa, but what's also happening in Moldova, it's unbelievable. And by God's grace, we already have a house in Moldova for, for orphans after they have to leave the orphanage at 15 or 16 and have no place to go. We have a girl's house that we were able to buy $250,000 home in Chisinau, Moldova. We have a boy's house there. And now, by the grace of God, 
We're about to buy another one in Belts, the second largest city of Moldova. And guys, we're seeing God change an entire country. I'm not kidding. We were there for the graduation of these transitional living kids. We've got 12 full-time people in Moldova. We have a, a, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a vocational director, house parents who are working with these students. And we saw these kids who've never had a birthday party in their life. And now they're graduating out of the program with a hope and a future. Because of what God's called you and me to do together. Guys, this is our time. This is our opportunity. Daniel had his time, and he lived it. He lived it. And oh, that you and I would catch a vision for what God can do through us. We're part of the chain. There were people in the Old Testament. There were the disciples. And we're the disciples today. Will we be faithful to the call? This morning in your worship guide, I want to ask you to pull that out. There's a, there's a card, and on the front of it, it's a lion. And the back of it's blank. There should be a pin around you somewhere, but I want you just to hold this and look at this for a second. And now I want you to think about this. As we've walked through this entire summer, walking through the book of Daniel, what has God been saying to you? What commitment is God calling you to make? What next step in your spiritual life and your spiritual journey is God calling you to? And I'd love for you just to take a moment to write that here, to write it down. Maybe for you, it, it's a call to say, hey, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to trust. I want to follow I had a conversation with a guy this week. Man, we're sitting there having coffee and tears in his eyes. It's like, here I am. I'm in my 30s. I've been living my life for me, and I want to live my life for Christ. Maybe that's you. Maybe for you it's baptism. Maybe for you it's joining the church. Maybe for you it's living an uncompromised life. Maybe there's an area of your life that God's just been convicting you in. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's unfair. I don't know. But you just say, listen, I can't live that way. I want to be faithful. What is it for you? Maybe it's trusting God and tithing. Maybe it's trusting God and sharing your faith. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's prayer. And that's something that's kind of gotten put on the back burner, and yet God's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to be faithful in prayer. And I love how on the front's the lion, you know. Daniel in the lion's den, and God just shuts the mouths of the lions. And so whatever fear, whatever excuse you have, just know God can shut the mouth. Make the commitment. Jesus tells us on the night that he's betrayed, he brought all of his disciples together. Just like we're gathered together this morning, he brought just his 12. But he said, guys, listen, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to die for you. Have you ever thought about that somebody died for you? I mean, somebody literally died for you so that you could have eternal life with God. And he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you, personal, for you. And after supper, he took the cup, and he said, guys, this, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
And so this morning, we have the opportunity to join with believers through the centuries who have come to the table to receive the gift that only God could give. Believers through the centuries who've made a commitment to God to say, God, we want to live an uncompromised life in our day, in our generation. There are tables that are set up around the room. There's a gluten-free station over here. There's two tables in the middle. There's two tables in the back. The table closest to you may be behind you. But I'm going to invite some of our A6 spiritual leaders. These are men in our church and their wives who are going to come to the tables to serve communion this morning. And when you come to the table today, here's what I'm going to ask you. Would you bring this, your commitment? Just flip it over, put it down. But just say, when I come to the table, I'm making a commitment. I don't want to just skate through life. I, I don't want to miss it. I want to invest my life in what matters. Put it on the table as your commitment. Then take a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you, dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and receive the gift that only God can give. This is a time of prayer. This is a time of worship. It's a time of commitment. God brought you here today to speak to you. Will you listen? And will you respond? So, Father, here we are, your people today. And, Father, just like Daniel faced the lions, God, it seems like in our day, in our culture, we face so many challenges and obstacles and fears. And I pray this morning, God, that you would shut the mouths of those fears and excuses. And God, you would give us the boldness and the courage to put a stake in the ground and make a commitment to you. Whatever you're speaking to us today, Father, help us to know that's you. And let us have the courage to take that next step. Father, thank you for allowing us to come to your table to do this in remembrance of you, to remember the redemption that we have in Christ because of the sacrifice of the cross and to remember that we will reign eternal in heaven forever because of what Jesus has done for us. God, we can never say thank you enough. So we come today to commit our lives to follow and to trust. And it's in the name, the beautiful, precious, holy name of Jesus that we pray and we come. Amen.